Hello, Rob Shank here, your host for this podcast that we call Shank Talks Bunhofer, a conversation all about the lifetimes and interests of our namesake, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the brave, brilliant, young German church leader who at World War II Europe uh, was one of the early voices to speak out against the racialized dictatorship of Adolf Hitler and the diabolical machinations of his Nazi war regime. So anything that touches on his interests certainly touches on ours. And my conversation partner today uh, is in both categories. The Reverend Dr. Catherine Rhodes Henderson is president emerita of Auburn Seminary after leading that institution for 12 years as its president. She's author of God's Troublemakers, How Women of Faith Are Changing the World, published by Continuum in 2006. She is an internationally known speaker and has been featured in the Washington Post, the New York Times, USA Today, MSNBC, NPR, and more, and more, and more. Her TEDx talk, Letting God Out of the Box, was released in February of 2017. Catherine is currently writing her second book, Fighting for the Heart of America, How the Prophets of Our Time Are Bringing Our Nation's Future to Birth. Most importantly, Catherine Henderson has deep roots in the story of the institute that sponsors this podcast, the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute in Washington, D.C. She was one of the seed planters uh, before there was uh, uh, anything written on paper. Uh, it was in conversation, deeply prayerful and reflective conversation uh, with Catherine, and uh, now it's a reality. And Catherine, what a joy to have a friend joining me at yes. the table of conversation today. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, Rob, uh, you are a, a dear colleague and friend, and um, I'm just so excited to be here with you today and with your listeners. Well, this is a growing family around mm -hmm. uh, the Bonhoeffer Institute. We haven't come up with a name for them yet. Uh, Bonhoefferites or um, <laughs> DBers, uh, we use different terms, yeah. but you're certainly in that family in a yeah. very, very personal way. You came to me when I was sitting across a very expansive divide from where a lot of uh, good folks sit, and you mm -hmm. reached across that divide to me, and I'll be grateful to God and to you uh, forever for that. Um, and I'd like our folks to know you uh, pretty close to as well as I know you. Um, mm -hmm. you I read your formal introduction, but right. you have a history. Can you tell us a little of your own personal story? Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, and uh, the daughter of a seminary professor. My father taught Old Testament and Hebrew at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary. My mother ran the bookstore at the seminary. Uh, so I was a child of the church, uh, Presbyterian church, and um, 
very influenced early on um, by relationships uh, beyond our church, uh, specifically by uh, relationship with next door neighbors, um, Aunt Ruth and Uncle Max uh, mm. called called that because they they seemed like family, but uh, Jewish neighbors next door, Max and Ruth Goldberg, who shared all of our life uh, with us, uh, meals, uh, recipes. Um, we we took care of each other. They had no children of their own, and so they um, really adopted me. I was they were sort of second parents. So this intimate relationship of, um, of people of other uh, another religious tradition that was very influential early on, which of course has led to my uh, current and abiding interest in multi-faith um, relationships and work together in the world as people of faith. And, um, and then my parents, who had grown up in the segregated South in North Carolina, uh, came to Kentucky, my father to go to seminary originally, and um, they were very involved in civil rights um, issues in Louisville, uh, coming out of their, uh, their experience, uh, including my maternal grandfather, who had been involved in founding a school the only school for black students um, in their county in, in rural North Carolina um, and had been uh, harassed by the Klan for that action in the world. Um, his grandmother had been uh, Quaker and so he was very influenced by Quakerism. Um, my mother remembered as a child waking up to the uh, sound of horse hooves uh, coming up their driveway um, in the middle of the night with um, clansmen robed with torches burning, circling the house to harass them. So that was the um, that was an experience uh, that led them then to civil rights work in Louisville. As a child, I remember marching with them uh, in the streets for civil rights and then ending up in a black church singing. Um, and so early on, the idea that you, you, um, that your faith was not about sitting in a pew on Sunday morning or uh, Friday night or whatever, but it was about um, doing the work of love and justice in the world, uh, including in the streets. When, when I was nine, um, we went to we went on sabbatical to Germany. Uh, we lived in New York City um, for a month before getting on a boat to go to Germany. And among other things, and I've just recently come across uh, a diary of my father's from that time. Um, so my memory uh, is reinforced now and confirmed through through his writings in this diary that. We did hear a sermon. We heard Howard Thurman preach, um, the great theologian Howard Thurman, um, in Riverside Church uh, during that month, and so um, that was also, you know, a, a very important inflection point. Um, anyway, we lived in in Göttingen, Germany, and uh, old university city, and as it happens, our our apartment was uh, owned by Zabina and Gerhard Leipholz. Hmm. 
uh, Zabina Leipoldt uh, was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's twin sister. Um, shall I keep going, Rob? I, Please I, do. Okay. You've okay, got great. me mesmerized. Okay. Please speak um, on. And I will, I'll bring you back to a few points, but sure. uh, say okay, on. Yes. Uh, okay, I'm vicariously great. living the story with you, as I think yeah. most of our friends are at this moment. Thank you. Thank you so much. So um, anyway, we lived in this apartment building. Uh, there were two other units, and we lived on the first floor. And um, there was a, a on the second floor a, a family um, whose mother, the the mother, the wife of the of the family, was a medical doctor. Um, and then the people on the top floor, um, the the man had been involved in the in the Nazi regime in some way. And so there was tension in this household, in this building, um, partly because of the relationship on the first floor with um, with the Leipholzes um, and by extension us, although we eventually formed friendships uh, throughout the building. But um, we became friends uh, with with Sabina and Gerhard Leipholz. They lived in Stuttgart. He was a lecturer, he was a professor at the university there, law professor. And of course, they had been in England uh, during the war. They had they had fled with their daughters to England. But uh, they would come periodically to Göttingen for him to lecture at the university. Um, and so they would move into a part of the apartment that was usually locked to us. Um, there was a front room, a living room. There was a um, there was a bedroom that they stayed in. But we shared a kitchen and bath, and over time became friends. Um, they were uh, pleased that I was in German schools, learning German. Um, they they loved my parents, and so you know we often would. Um, be invited to go out to lunch or something with them. I, I have pictures of me as a as a nine year old little girl with them, uh, with my parents, and um, in a garden, sitting at a table. You know, after lunch. I've never um, seen those photos, Catherine. You need to share <laughs> well, them with will, me. What I treasures! Know, I, will, I will have to. I will. I will do that. Um, but. The, the the part of that relationship was also uh, connecting us um, to the sort of Bonhoeffer circle, including um, Eberhard Betke and his wife. Uh, Eberhard Betke being, you know, Bonhoeffer's biographer um, and sort of carrier of the legacy. And so we visited them in Ringsdorf, where they lived. Uh, we were welcome welcomed warmly and so that was that was um that was a, a very important grounding sort of relationship there um that that made a very big impression on me as as a nine-year-old um, my parents and i went to dachau to the memorial uh, at the concentration camp there um i didn't remember this uh but my mother reminded me at some point that um, my father and I 
went into the memorial, into the museum, uh, and she stayed in the car because she just felt that she couldn't handle it. So I do remember that. I remember the shoes. I remember the shoes, obviously, that are in other, um, in Yad Vashem and in other uh, Holocaust Memorial museums. And uh, it made a huge impression on me, particularly um, the matter of what your faith um, in God, what your Christian faith propels you to do uh, in terms of bringing about a more just and loving world, which is, of course, what Bonhoeffer was all about. And the idea that you could, um, that that faith would propel you, uh, even in his case, to participate in a plot to assassinate Hitler, um, to, to go, you know, to going to his death, um, because of that action, um, I think that coupled with uh, the civil rights um, actions and work, um, it was all about, you know, what the Christian faith compels you to do, um, and and what your what your life is worth, you know, what you're willing to live and die for. Um, one of my uh, one of the family names in my mother's family on the maternal side is Bloodworth, Bloodworth. Huh. And, huh. Um, and so that, <laughs> that, that has been a, um, it's like, what is your blood worth? What is your life worth? And what are you going to do with, you know, your, your one precious life as, yeah. as the poet Mary Oliver would put it. Mm -hmm. Wow. What rich, uh, moral, spiritual DNA you have. Um, yes. And I have to ask you a lot of questions about this because, first of all, yeah. uh, you would be someone uh, that had the closest connection uh, to Bonhoeffer that I know, uh, with the exception, mm -hmm. maybe. I did meet uh, Franz von Hammerstein before he died uh, in mm -hmm. several years ago, just before he died. Mm -hmm. I met him. Of course, he had been uh, a student, uh, a catechumen, I believe, of uh, Niemöller's mm -hmm. and was arrested and was on the transport van and in a cell near mm -hmm. uh, Dietrichs. But um, second only to him, Mm -hmm. and he's no longer with us, you're the closest connection <laughs> because uh, yeah. Sabina was uh, his twin sister. That's right. So this, yeah. this is a very close connection. I'm wondering if you remember the content of her conversations at the table with your parents. Did they, did they fall <sighs> on subjects related to all of the history, the struggle, uh, the life and death of her brother. Did, do you recall any of those elements? I, you know, I wish that, um, I mean, I was, <laughs> I have older sisters, but I was, I was as if I were an only child and often an adult company. So listening carefully, but I really don't remember the content of the conversations. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, I think what, and this is, I think this is often true. It's, it's the, 
perception of presence and mm-hmm. um, and the sense that, I mean, you know, these were very formal people. Um, and so, and, and of course, um, many reasons not to trust these, you know, Certainly. these foreigners and all of that. But what, what I remember was the, um, the warmth, you know, and kindness and, um, and easy exchange at the table. Formal, yes, but, but also easy and warm. Um, so I remember that more than I do um, the content of the conversations. What the content of the conversation that I do remember, however, is between that woman doctor, um, our neighbor, um, and my mother, uh, because this was, you know, in the during the Vietnam War, really. And um, so Frau Klassen was very focused on uh, trying to help my mother understand how Nazi Germany happened. And as a doctor in the hospital, what she remembers was being so hungry um, that she would take food off of the trays of her patients um, just to feed herself. And um, I think that, that she still, I mean, this was in the mid-60s, she was still wrestling internally and trying to justify what had happened in Germany. Um, and she would would equate it with this sort of ethical dilemma that Americans, that we were in um, because of our role in Vietnam. In other words, no. I think what she was trying to say was nobody's hands are clean um, but this was, you know, this was great wrestling. Very, she was a very passionate, dramatic woman, and so she and my mother, you know, were in a deep conversation about this. So, so this was, you know, a couple of decades later, but it was very fresh. Of course. In terms of, of course. Uh, uh, yes, it was very fresh. Fresh I remember, wrestling. I remember talking with a docent at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm who said, you know, you Americans are very quick to criticize us, and rightfully yes. so. Mm-hmm. But I wonder when you will do with your atrocities what we have done mm-hmm. with ours. And she was pointing to the collection of upper school students mm-hmm. that are required to visit the memorial sites yes. and yes. learn the details of what, uh, you know, mm-hmm. was perpetrated. Right. And... And she asked, (laughs) what about your story of Native Americans? Exactly. Uh, When will, when do you think you'll tackle that? And it was, it was reason to blush uh, and look Mm -hmm. down because Mm -hmm. of course we haven't done that anywhere near what Germany has done with their history. Exactly. I mean, yes. And the racial reckoning here that's, um, you know, our, as it's been named, you know, our, original sin of this country. I mean, all of these reckonings are, should happen. Yes. And we, and we haven't, um, we haven't done that. Well, speaking of that, Mm -hmm. um, you have been a leader in the church, uh, from what I know, 
mm-hmm. the majority of your adult life, mm-hmm. uh, even as a younger person, uh, you were, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, you have uh, directed a, a, a seminary. Mm-hmm. You've certainly been very influential in the formation of clergy. You've been engaged in ecumenical and interfaith work. Mm-hmm. Someday I'm going to get a little bell with each nexus with the Bonhoeffer story. I'm going to tinkle <laughs> the bell. But you've got a mm-hmm. lot of bell tinkling going on yes, here. Yes, right, um, I do. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the church today? Where do you, mm-hmm. it, it, with, a, with the small c, wh- yeah. where do you see... Christians and Christianity mm-hmm. today, how would you mm-hmm. assess the state of mm-hmm. our spiritual family? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's a very big question. It's a very pertinent question. Uh, and I think uh, one that we, we all need to be wrestling with, those of us who um, identify as, as Christian. Um, I think that I would say deeply, deeply troubled um, with lots of possibility because I am, because of my faith and probably nature in some way, I am a hopeful person, not optimistic, but hopeful. And, um, and so uh, I think that just, just like the world in which we live, um, you know, we are in a moment of cataclysmic change. I mean, we're in a, you know, what some are calling an axial age, you know, where the contours of the future are so um, unclear. And and so there's peril, but there's promise in that too. Uh, so we live in a, a time of precarity and promise. Um, so I think, I think for Christians is a time of great reckoning because we have seen uh, the close identification of the Christian faith, many Christian churches uh, with um, the Republican Party, parts of the Republican Party that um, have, that are, that seem to be um, hell-bent on uh, eroding the democratic tenets that um, you know that that we have been working towards in this country, although imperfectly, for you know, for a very long time. And uh, you know, I'm talking about uh, you know attacks on immigration. I'm talking about on voter suppression. Um, I mean, there there's so many racial justice. There's so many areas. The the uh, disregard for um, climate change and degradation of the planet. So I think that this this uh, alignment of Christianity with this um, anti-democratic, autocratic perspective that has, you know, come to the fore in things like the insurrection of, of January 6th, um, you know, in very dramatic ways. This is this is something that we must all take responsibility for uh, and be accountable for. And so, um, 
And I and and it's very related, obviously. And you and I've talked about this some um, to the history of Germany and the history of the rise of Hitler and um, and the need for uh, uh, the Bekennende Kirche, the the resistant the the church that resisted the movement that resisted the German church that was so aligned with Nazism and Hitler, um, with some of the same um, actions. Um, against LGBTQ folks, against uh, Jews, um, against gypsies, against the other, whoever the other might be. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're in a moment right now where we need to, as Christians, um, and I, I hate the labels, but, you know, more progressive Christians, Christians who are interested in a robust, pluralistic society where all can thrive and where all belong. Um, you know, that's that's the Christian movement that I'm interested in. Um, no, no time yeah. for sitting on your hands or mute in the pew. Exactly. As, as, as our friend, our beloved friend, the Reverend Dr. James uh, A. Forbes Jr. would say, it's no time for foolishness. Yes, I just um, spoke to him yesterday <laughs> on the okay. phone. Uh, right. at the introduction of a mutual friend. And uh, I told him, uh, Dr. Forbes, that is, I told him that I had heard a sermon he preached uh, 45 years ago. Oh. I was a young man uh, with aspirations for ministry, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and he came to my hometown, Buffalo, New York, preached a sermon. I remember it almost Great. word for word when oh. he spoke of Joseph going down, yeah. but he was getting up. <laughs> and when mm -hmm. I heard him, I said, uh, that's my kind of preaching. Uh, Absolutely. And he told me he's 87. He's, he's, yes, uh, yes, he is. And we talk frequently. He was my uh, preaching professor at, at uh, in seminary. At Union. I didn't know that. Yeah, my, my first, um, Would my that, first was that Union? year seminary. Yes, it was Union. And mm -hmm. His tutor was the Reverend uh, Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon, the first black woman to be ordained in the Presbyterian Church. And um, she helped me uh, outline my first sermon in the <laughs> Riverside Church um, refectory. Um, anyway, on, on Wow, his, that's not uh, only, uh, <laughs> that's not on only. New York uh, yeah. church history, that's church history. Right, exactly. In it many ways, our, American uh, was, history. Yeah, Genesis, the, the struggle with God, the angel, whatever, at, at Peniel. So that was... Oh, um, my. Oh, yeah. my. Oh, so my. anyway, lots of, lots of good memories. But I think that, um, you know, building this multiracial, multi-faith, democracy that has never been, but I think could be, um, is, is the work that I'm I have been, I've given my life to, and it's, uh, it's seeds were planted with Bonhoeffer and, um, and all of these influences growing up as far back as I can remember. Mm. Mm. You know, I asked Franz von Hammerstein, uh, mm -hmm. what he remembers as the last words from Bonhoeffer. Mm. And he said, I remember him saying something about my generation 
reforming, uh, rescuing, reforming, mm -hmm. and rebuilding the church. Mm -hmm. That uh -huh. that would be my task, and I've mm -hmm. made it such. Uh, mm -hmm. And it seems in our own time, that's mm -hmm. apropos, uh, mm -hmm. as so much of that story is mm -hmm. these days. And you, you were uh, you were speaking about the fusion of the political with yes. with uh, faith, with the Christian faith, and the contamination right. of the gospel. Mm -hmm. with nationalism and so forth. And right. so I need to ask you this, and I'm going to take you off guard here because I did <laughs> I did prep you with a few uh, questions and this one wasn't included. So I'm going to... Okay, go for it. <laughs> I'm That's, sorry. Uh, it's fair game. I tell you what, it's fair game and, and, and it's what makes you a good interviewer. So go ah, for it. <laughs> well, thank you. So here it is. Uh, you know, we're seeing in this moment, at least at the time of our recording the horrors being perpetrated mm -hmm. in Ukraine right. by uh, yet another uh, megalomaniac uh, yes. in Vladimir Putin and his assault on the people of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And of course, sitting right beside him on so many occasions is the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church. That's right. Uh, mm -hmm. Kirill. That's right. Just uh, talking with an Eastern European church leader who is calling for the World Council of Churches to expel uh, the patriarchate, mm -hmm. the Moscow patriarchate, from the council uh, based mm -hmm. on its enabling of Putin's uh, mm -hmm. atrocities. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you what you think of that sort of action on the part of the church? In other words, does the church mm -hmm. need to act on itself? We, we often think mm -hmm. of acting on yeah. external forces. What about internally when it comes, mm -hmm. I think of, of course, costly grace is, is a concept mm -hmm. of grace, you know, uh, uh, without, you know, no, where there's no discipline present. And right. what about disciplining our own? What are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I just signed a letter. You probably signed. I didn't look at all the signatories, but you know, to um, to Kareel, a patriarch Kareel. I did. Um, I did. I was down did. there okay, on the we, list in the S's. <laughs> okay. Down in the S's. We're we're um, we're we're on the same wavelength then. Yeah. So I mean, that was. An important step. Um, I no, I do think, I do think there's a time for discipline. Just as there's discipline within a legislative body, um, you know, um, and maybe need, maybe there needs to be more. Um, there needs there. Yeah, I think there's the church has to discipline itself. And I mean, we have to be accountable to each other, um, and and we need to. Um, and we need to be called to account. So, you know, I have no idea what the relationships are that could be brought to bear on um, on him. So, but they haven't worked, whatever they are, they haven't worked this far. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think we should go for it, for sure. Well, I'll um, talk to you offline okay. a little bit about the momentum uh -huh. uh, heading yeah. that, that way towards the uh, General Assembly of the World Council uh, in July. 
Yeah, and, I have uh, no problem with that kind of with that kind of discipline. Um, and how? Who knows if it will make? I mean, the problem is is that when there is this kind of alignment of religious and secular power, um, who knows what this kind of action, disciplinary action, would do? I mean. Because yes. what, it, what it means is that the persons in question have to figure out to whom they're accountable. And in this case, there may be, may be more accountability to uh, Putin than to God. Indeed. It's an historical yeah. problem. It's an, it's an historical problem. Exactly. It was the problem with the German church. And, you know, um, so. Indeed, in fact. And it's the problem with the, with parts of the Christian communion here in the U.S. today. Indeed. Yeah. Somebody say amen, uh, amen. to that. And, <laughs> and we seem surrounded by it. And what Kirill represents to me mm-hmm. is simply the yeah. most grotesque expression of it in this moment. It may not right. be tomorrow. It, right. it could be worse somewhere else tomorrow, but on the grandest scale, right that fusion of a distorted, contaminated Christian mm-hmm. gospel right. with uh, a violent, murderous uh, nationalism. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the worst, most toxic mm-hmm. combination mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. all the people of the world. I mean, I've mm-hmm. had some who yeah. have said to me, why specialize on the Russian church? That, there's, you know, that's peculiar to them. Yeah. Uh, I would argue it goes way beyond the Russian church. Yeah, of And course. it's really only the worst expression of what we're seeing in so many places a- in this absolutely. moment of time. Absolutely. And it is true, you know, that the Christian church, parts of the Christian church here export hate. Um, if you look at <laughs> in in terms of what happens around LGBT um Q issues in in certain parts of Africa. I mean, you know, the the anti-gay um, parts of the Christian Church here. You know, we ex- we export that to to other parts of the Christian Communion across the world. So, you know, there's a lot to account for. Because um, I... and and it's why you know it's why I think. Um, this multi-faith, you know, why my life has been focused on building and expanding um, to people of other religious traditions, you know, creating a robust network, multi-faith network of people of faith, and I would say moral courage, those who don't always identify with organized religion. I mean, that's the robust future, I think. And of course, that is the future, that pluralistic, um, democratic future. That is why we're seeing such enormous backlash. Um, Because, you know, (laughs) I think that that's the future that we're working towards and that that will prevail. Why? Because I think that God loves difference. And, and God created difference, and so at last must we, you know, love it too. Mm-hmm. And that's the work. So I, I'm, I'm excited by that. I was also very excited by um, Zelensky's 
excited and you know it brought me to tears Zelensky's speech because I think to, that that was Congress. a very you mean to the yes, U.S. Congress today yes, yes to the, the U.S. Day of Congress this recording, today you know. <laughs> and I think that it was a very interesting mix of certainly na nationalism and protecting the interests and the future of 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 Ukraine, but Zelensky also realizes he also is working from a value of global interdependence. Yes. I mean, he understands, you know, that um, that the boundaries that have existed, the, the nationalistic boundaries, you know, that is not the future of the world and, and that we really must be in relationship and responsible for each other. Uh, and certainly the planet too, or we won't have a planet to live on. So... On that point, uh, we all have a moral obligation. How do you see that it, just in terms of understanding what we're responsible to do in these times and, and, and maybe not? In other words, mm -hmm. we can't all do everything. Right. Uh, and sometimes that overwhelms people and they say, you know, right. there's just too much. In the face of that too much, what kind of guidance would you give mm. us? A lot of us uh, in this podcast family are church leaders, we're pastors, right. we're denominational officials, we lead institutions, mm -hmm. organizations, or we're advocates of some kind or another. Mm -hmm. What about boundaries, finding your niche, your slice, your lane, whatever <laughs> it is. What, what, you're a wizened uh, elder now. Yeah. Uh, what, what guidance would you offer? Uh, it's a very, it's a very good question. Um, my strength has not been <laughs> necessarily in, in finding a narrow niche. Um, hmm. I have a, a, a very, uh, I've had, and anybody who has worked with me or, or relates to me, a very ex expansive vision and, um, and, and reach. And so the, the narrowing of boundaries is, uh, I just, there's true confession here. Um, mm. th that, that has not been my strong suit. However, um, In this time, you know, as President Emerita, where I'm no longer responsible for the um, running of an institution in a day-to-day -day way, um, I, I, I am thinking for myself a lot about issues of resilience. As I've, I've had, I've done that organizationally in terms of thinking about resilience for others, but I'm. I'm practicing more on myself now. You know, I've become the experiment. Hmm. And so I think that um, what I'm really appreciating is being present locally, um, in community, uh, being present to relationships um, in a way that I haven't been able to um, to be because of the huge responsibilities of of tending to the needs of an institution. 
And so, you know, I think presence and relationship, um, you know, taking time to be in relationship with others. And I actually absolutely saw that um, and experienced that in the work at Auburn um, in building movements, faith-rooted justice movements with many other partners across the country. And it's, of course, this is our story, Rob, too. It is. It is. It's, it's taking time, as we did, coming from our different spaces to talk together, to pray together, to be, you know, to be in relationship. Um, and, you know, I think that's how you build the beloved community, you know, mm-hmm. one by one, small groups, whatever. And, and I think all of these local efforts matter. You know, I'm thinking um, about, I was just listening earlier today um, to a report by one of the rabbis. There was a group of 20 rabbis uh, in the New York area. I don't know if it extended beyond that, that just went to the border in Ukraine, I think through Poland to take, um, you know, stuff, (laughs) clothes, other things that people needed. And also just to be present, a gift of presence and support. And, you know, I was very moved by that. Um, It doesn't change everything, but it was, they did what they could. Um, And I think that's, you know, that's what what each of us has to figure out um, to do. Well, you've done that exquisitely. Well, I don't know, we're all just practicing. We're all practicing. Um, and I, and I think you know Bonhoeffer's question: uh, uh, How are coming generations? Uh, how how coming generations shall continue to live? Mm-hmm. You know that's the sort of ethical, deep question, and the planet. You know how are we going to live together, and what's the work each of us has to do to steward what we've been given? You know the world. I have emerged from, uh, yes. which has a tendency to look more backward, although not, not accurately yes. so, but to right. look backward rather than forward. And it's the reason, you know, for a little while I either apologized for or avoided using the term progressive to describe myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't anymore because uh, uh, your reference there to how shall the next generation live Mm -hmm. and live out our faith is a future projection. It's, it's progress. It's progressive. It's not regressive. That's right. And so for me, the gospel, the model mission message of Jesus is Mm -hmm. one that brings progress. You can say towards God, Mm -hmm. Uh, towards humanity, towards the future, out Mm -hmm. of limitations, into an expansive Mm -hmm. universe. You used that term earlier. Yeah. Uh, So it seems to me now, and I say this unapologetically, Mm -hmm. that the gospel is progressive. It is not Mm -hmm. regressive. Mm -hmm. For my very conservative interlocutors, I often have to remind them that Jesus said, you heard that it was said, but I say Mm -hmm. to you something new, something Mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are making progress here. 
Yeah. Uh, so I thank um, you for the model of progressive Christianity mm -hmm. that you've uh, lived out. I mean, I've watched it. I've seen you in action. I've sat in the yeah. room uh, as you've guided people through this process. Mm -hmm. And I've seen your work firsthand, and I'd like to say mm -hmm. I'm a product of it. Uh, mm -hmm. and, thank you. And, uh, so I know it and, firsthand. And and I and I you I mean it, you know this is I have learned so much from you and uh, you know and the learning um, you know <laughs> the learning will continue because it needs to for all of us um, and you know the the Bible verse that comes to mind for me the text is you know behold I'm doing a new thing mm. now mm. it springs forth do you not mm. perceive it. And so, you know, I, I think for us to practice our gifts, our, our ability to, of perception um, is, is real, so that we can be surprised and open to where God is leading us. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's the faithful path. Mm, yeah, some, some, uh folks I know would use the term discernment, to be discerning, yes. mm -hmm. to be right. perceptive, to be discerning, right. and discern uh, where the Spirit is leading. And right. these are, these are as, as you said early on about the state of the church, troubled times. Uh, mm -hmm. These are in some ways tumultuous times. I'm not sure they're terribly far from where Europe was mm -hmm. in 1933 right. uh, when our namesake uh, really came to the fore. Right. Uh, but, um, but I think, uh, you know, his admonition to look forward will mm -hmm. help us in this mm -hmm. time. Let's look yeah. forward together. Right. And we're certainly... Uh, in good company. Uh, I know the company you keep. You've invited me into those circles. Uh, some of them now keep company with us at, right. at the Institute. Uh, yeah. no, no doubt there are lots of folks who are part of our listening circle today uh, who are on that same path and mm -hmm. we need each other. Uh, mm -hmm. I certainly discovered that in my friendship and collegial mm -hmm. uh, collaboration with you. Uh, and there are some who are surfacing now. I mean, of course, we've watched uh, the president of Ukraine right. emerging as, I would say, at least very close to a prophetic voice in our time. Yes. Uh, yeah. But there are many, many others uh, and, and who have surfaced in other struggles now in this one yeah. quite vividly with so many eyeballs on it through technology. Yeah. But, you know, we'll, we'll look for one another uh, as we travel the narrow road together. Yes. And I uh, thank you for what you've done in your contribution to this institute and to its life. It's, it's now bearing fruit. And uh, you were involved in the very early mm -hmm. stages uh, when people were scratching their heads and saying, most people can't <laughs> even spell that. <laughs> so, but you were a believer and, uh, and, and I'm, yeah. and I'm so, so, so 
glad that we're in this uh, together. Tell us, what, what's your current project? Uh, uh, you're still there. Uh, you're not um, running the day-to-day well, -day back room stuff, but you're still right, at Auburn. Right, right, Yeah, um, I think uh, this, this very um, joyful transition um, with the new president of Auburn, the Reverend Dr. Emma Jordan Simpson, um, whom I had ad actually admitted to seminary many years ago when I was um, associate dean of students at Union. Hmm. Um, it's this has been a very joyful transition, and as as anybody knows, and certainly probably many of your listeners, it's it's uh, transitions of, of leadership transitions are not always easy, and no. so um, our commitment was to have a joyful. Um, positive transition at Auburn and and so far we're we are doing that um, and that that is very joyful work and um, I think that um, you know I I will continue in many ways to to build this multiracial multi-faith future where all belong I mean that's that's my um, sort of personal mantra and that will go forward in, you know, in other ways with the work ahead um, with some of the same partners and hopefully an expanding group of partners. Well, um, speaking as, of, you know, we have a wonderful cohort of senior fellows at the Institute. We have good. a band of what we call allied clergy. Uh, how can they connect with you? Is there a way for them to do that? Just maybe sure. well, I think find they out can connect. More? Yeah, I think they can connect with me through you. And okay. okay. I'm happy, happy to do that. And also excited about what you're doing, Rob, and uh, look forward to being supportive and helpful um, as you call on me. And as we continue this friendship and uh, colleagueship as uh, part of the beloved community and um, followers of Christ. Well, likewise, igualmente, uh, my German is atrocious. I don't know how to say that in German, but, uh, but you have connected us today to our dear Dietrich in a way mm -hmm. no one else has to date. Uh, the fact that um, you sat with his kin. Uh, yeah, the, absolutely. Uh, and such an intimate kin at that uh, mm -hmm. yeah. is really remarkable that you have that yeah. connection. And it reminds us that he was here with us on Earth not so long ago. That's uh, right. This was not ancient history, uh, but just yesteryear. And he continues to inspire us today. And, uh, and you do as well. Uh, so... Uh, Catherine, thank you for spending the time at the table. Thanks for this rich conversation, for imparting your wisdom to our gang here at the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. And uh, I hope it won't be the last time uh, that our folks uh, can benefit from, from hearing you share your heart and your thoughts uh, and your wisdom. Thanks so much. Great to be with you, Rob. Take good care. You too. Bye.